Welcome to the Gracefully Refined Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Redfern, and I am so glad you decided to tune in. Here on the Gracefully Refined Podcast, I tackle topics that not only will challenge you in your Christian walk, but will also encourage, uplift, and remind you of the infinite and indescribable hope that we have through Jesus Christ. I am so excited to dive into God's Word with you. There are so many amazing truths that are still applicable in our daily lives, and I cannot wait to discuss them with you. So friend, grab your Bible and coffee, and let's get into the Word. Hey y'all, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here for another interesting topic within our trial series. This season, we have considered some tough questions and looked at what scripture had to say about those topics. Today is no different. We are going to be tackling what it means to have joy in the midst of trials. Are we supposed to be happy about the trials we face? How can we have joy? Friends, we're going to try to answer all of these questions within this episode and hopefully provide some clarity to some verses that are most commonly taken out of context. So grab your Bible and coffee and let's get into the word. In episode three of the series, I tackled a question where I had asked in a poll on Instagram about whether or not we should ask for trials. And if you remember from episode three, I was astounded by how many of those who answered said yes and would often reference James 1 as how they justified this answer. If you missed that episode, definitely go back and listen to it first. This episode is a continuation of that topic, except we're actually going to be looking at James and breaking down the section that seems to have several Christians confused. I've spent several hours poring over these verses and seeking counsel as I've prepared for this episode. Seriously, no lie, I've spent two months just on these scriptures. My ultimate goal is to always speak God's word in truth and with as much accuracy as I possibly can. My desire for this podcast has always been and will always be to lead others closer to God by digging deeper into God's word, as well as explaining it in a way that is easy to understand, because I know the Bible is not always easy to comprehend. But I will never claim to know everything that there is to know about scripture. I will, however, to the best of my ability, try to explain it so that Others will have a clearer picture of what our Bibles are actually saying. Okay, so let's go ahead and read 3 James 1, 1 through 4, and then we're going to break it down like I normally do. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's talk a little bit about who James was. Y'all know I love to give a little background history. Um, James was the half-brother of Jesus, and whenever he devoted his life to serving Christ, he did so wholeheartedly. You see, James did not follow Jesus during Christ's earthly ministry. It was actually the post-resurrection appearance that convinced James that Jesus, his half-brother, was indeed the Christ. You can find references to this in Acts 1, verse 14, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. James would go on to also be a leader of the Jerusalem church, and he had incredible influence there. 
But as we're looking at verse 1, we see that James does not boast in the fact that he was the brother of Jesus, but rather he humbly tells us that he is a servant of God and of Lord Jesus. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, during this time, Christians have been scattered abroad due to a few different things. One, being that the spread of Christianity through both the Jewish and Gentile communities, and two, they were scattered from trying to escape persecution. James was writing to all Christians who daily were being hunted, captured, killed, and tortured. Many were in hiding. He obviously would have known when he wrote this letter of what, they, what the Christians across the world were actually currently facing during this time. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers. James knows what they are facing, and yet he tells them to count it all joy. Why? We will answer that in just a few moments. He continues on by saying, when you experience trials of various kinds, look at that verbiage. James did not say if you experience trials, but when. When. It means that trials are inevitable for us while we are earthbound. No one, whether you're a Christian or not, are exempt from trials. At some point in our lives, there will be some event that changes us, breaks us, or even challenges us. I want to also point out that James is not saying that we are to be happy whenever we face these trials, but to count it as joy. How can we count horrible things happening as joy? How can we rejoice in the midst of them? I want us to look at the next two verses before we even begin to answer these questions. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness or steadfast means to be firmly fixed in place, immovable, not subject to change, firm in belief, determination, or adherence, loyal. Through our faith being tested, it will produce this quality within us that is immovable and loyal. James is telling us that we must be tested in order to grow. Faith is tested through trials, not produced by trials. We have to go through such trials. This is something that each person, each Christian has to endure. James encourages us to stay immovable in the midst of such things so that we may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. I know this sounds unfair to us, right? We are supposed to count it as joy to suffer and that through our faith, it will be strengthened and tested. Why can't we just live our daily lives and skip the hard stuff? Why must we at some point go through something so hard and yet still find joy? It sounds unfair. It sounds hard. If you still have your Bibles open, flip over to Hebrews 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God or I'm sorry seated at the right hand of the throne of God the Greek word that is used here for race is actually agona 
which means conflict of struggle of many kinds. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to lay aside every sin and to run with endurance this race, this conflict or struggle that is before us. But why? Let's keep reading. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for or who for the joy that was set before him. Some translations also say that Jesus, who was the founder and the finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was his joy? His joy, dear friend, was knowing that after it was completed, he would forever have communion with those who would accept and believe in him. We were and are his joy. It is for us that he endured the cross. The writer also goes on to tell us that Jesus despised the shame of the cross. He was mocked, beaten, literally forced to carry his own cross for miles to Golgotha and was practically naked. He was ridiculed. One of the main things the Romans did with the practice of crucifixion was to humiliate the person. Being crucified was shameful. It also meant that those who were deemed the worst of the worst in the Romans' eyes. And yet, Jesus still endured it for us. He did not run away from his trial. He endured it. Jesus knew before it happened what he would have to go through. It distressed him so much that he actually sweat blood before his arrest while praying in the garden. If you look in Luke chapter 22, verses 42 through 44, he says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You may also find this account of prayer in the garden um, in Mark chapter 14 and in Matthew 26. The medical condition for sweating blood is called, and I'm going to try not to butcher it because I'm really not good with weird words, but um, hematohydrosis. I hope I said that right for any of my medical friends who are listening. <laughs> but this can occur from many different factors. One of them is being distressed or insane amounts of stress. This condition is also considered to be very rare. So why do I mention this, you may ask? Because I want you to see the very real human side of Christ. He was equally man and equally God. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he was tempted in every way that we were and yet without sin. We see in the gospel accounts that Jesus cried out to God the Father to stop and take this cup of suffering from him. He asked if there could be another way. Yet, at the end of it all, Jesus still said, Not my will, but yours be done. So, Jesus went and endured the pain and humiliation of the cross so that our sins would be forgiven, so that we might be able to once again have communion with the holy and just God who created us. This just God didn't even spare his own son from pain and trials. In order for this to be reconciled, there had to be a holy sacrifice, and Jesus was the only one qualified and worthy enough for such a task. He took the punishment that should have been yours, 
and that should have been mine, just because he loved us enough to do it. Friend, we were and are the reason why he stayed on that cross and went through all that pain. We are his joy, and I'm so thankful that he decided to save someone as broken as me. So going back to the original text in James, when James says that we are to count it joy whenever we face trials of many kinds, he is not telling us just to be happy. He is reminding us that even Christ suffered, and it was for us that he, Christ, suffered. So that we can find joy that can only come from him in the midst of our trials because of the work that he completed on the cross. Friend, nothing you will ever face on this earth will compare to the joy that awaits us in heaven. The fact that one day I will get to see my Savior face to face and worship him daily is enough cause for celebration even in the midst of my trials. I look forward to the day of being able to see my loved ones that trusted and loved the Lord while they were here on earth. I look forward to one day being able to hug the baby I lost. I look forward to singing praises to our God because he is holy and worthy of it forever. But while I still have time on this earth, I don't want to waste one minute of it sitting around saying, woe is me, when the hard times come. James reminds us that no one is exempt from trials. They will come to each of us in some form or shape, but it is how we respond in the midst of those trials that will make the difference. I wasn't sure if I was going to even mention this, but I felt that it was necessary for this episode. Very recently, I've lost a very good friend of mine in a very unexpected way. I was heartbroken for my friend's loved ones and for their fiancé as they were soon to be married. Yet, one of the most incredible displays of this example I have found was how they responded in their grief. They each made posts about desiring to continue to serve the Lord and love the Lord despite of what had happened. They said they could do this because they knew that my friend was now in heaven rejoicing with Jesus and that when their time came to leave the earth, they would again be reunited with my friend in heaven. And I know that one day I will get to see my friend in heaven and that is a greater joy to me than knowing the fact that they're not here. Joy and grief can simultaneously exist, dear friend. If Jesus, only if Jesus is the rock on which you've built your foundation. So how can we experience this joy that comes from God whenever we are faced with trials? Romans fifteen thirteen says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The Holy Spirit is our vessel by which we can receive the fullness of joy that can only be found in Christ Jesus. Friend, where do you place your hope when trials come? Are you leaning into Jesus or are you trying to cope in your own way? Do you have joy? I want to leave you with this final thought. I was listening to a sermon taught by Megan Marshman just one random afternoon and she said something that has stuck with me ever since I heard it. Pain is relatable, and God can use it to allow us to have compassion for those around us. Throughout this season, I hope I've made it clear that our suffering is never meant to be nothing. 
Instead, it can be used as a means to not only have compassion for others in pain, but it can also help us to help them through their pain. Pain is relatable. Everyone's pain might be different, but in the end, we have all suffered in one way or another. My question to you is, have you been obedient when God has called you to help someone else that went through a very similar situation to yours? Are you continuing to be a vessel for Christ or are you allowing the pain to eat you alive? Remember, if even Christ was not spared pain and suffering, we should know that we will not be spared either. But because Jesus conquered death and suffering, he endured. I know and have the eternal hope and joy in knowing that I will one day be reunited with him. I pray that you would have this same hope, dear friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Gracefully Refined podcast. I hope that through this episode, you were challenged, encouraged, and reminded of the infinite and indescribable hope that is found in Jesus, our Savior. If you do not follow me on social media, you can find me on Instagram under the handle Morgan Redfarin. That is spelled M-O-R-G-A-N-E-R-E-D-F-E-R-I-N, where I post Jesus-loving content even more. I pray you have an incredible rest of your week and I will see you in the next episode.